This is episode number 322, Rethinking Competition. What if it wasn't only about beating others? Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. First off, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for listening to this podcast, for subscribing to the show so that you don't miss any episodes, and for being part of my community. It means a lot to me as there are over 2 million podcasts out there. That is a lot of podcasts. That's a lot of choices. So thanks for being with me on this journey. I also want to say thank you to those of you who are supporting my work on PayPal and Patreon with your donations at patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And it's also been really fun to connect with a lot of you on my newsletter, which lately I've been setting out as a bi-weekly newsletter, but it's going to get back to a weekly newsletter soon, where I tackle all things motivation, mindset, high performance, and well-being with an article each week. If you like today's episode and my solo episodes, then you most certainly will like my newsletter, and you can get that at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. Today's podcast partner, Inside Tracker, is a great tool to assess parts of your metabolic health. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside your body. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized performance system that analyzes biomarker data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to help you optimize your body and reach health and wellness goals. I've been using this company since 2017, and they make it super easy. You can either go into a lab if you're in the U.S., or you can have somebody come to your house for a mobile blood draw if you're in Canada like me. And it's pretty simple, and you get to see all of this data that you wouldn't get if you just went to a doctor and got a blood test. You can set what your goals are for your health. So if your goal is something like metabolic health or your goal is healthy aging or, say, something like endurance training, those factors are taken into account when Inside Tracker recommends different lifestyle interventions that you can make so that you can improve upon these and achieve your optimal health goals. That said, Inside Tracker is about human potential, human performance, and health and wellness. It is not for sick care of disease control, but it can give you great baselines for everything that you're doing. And their app gives you so much information. It tells you things that you can do and small habits every single day so that you can improve your health and performance. Getting a personalized daily action plan with guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body so that you can improve upon these biomarkers for your next test and see that improvement is really empowering. To get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store, I highly recommend their ultimate tests as well as their inner age test. Go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia, and that's insidetracker forward slash Sonia to get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. I've been enjoying some adventure trail runs in my off season and am excited to introduce some strength work too. I normally don't take a very long off season or I guess normal is different now that I have kids, but before I had kids, I would race nine months out of the year and I would be focused on the bike in the off season too. And I'm trying something a little bit different this year. I kind of did this during the pandemic as well of letting go a little bit of riding my bike six days a week and introducing some other sports that can be beneficial and Mentally, that's refreshing for me. 
I've been racing mountain bikes since 2003, so that's quite a long time. I guess next year will mark my 20-year anniversary of racing mountain bikes. And that's amazing that that's been such a big part of my life. And just as a quick little bit there, I found mountain biking by accident. It wasn't a sport that I did growing up. It wasn't a sport that I even knew was a sport. And I was just open to somebody inviting me to go for a ride. And for all of us, there's something that we were invited to go do, whether it's sport, whether it's something else that maybe we had never even heard of. And remaining open and remaining curious enables us to take on those new things. And you never know which direction your life will go. So a challenge for you this week before I get into the show is what can you be open to this week or even this month? So that when something comes your way, something that piques your curiosity, but you're not even really sure where it's going to go or if it's even worth it, maybe just taking that first step and giving it a try. Along the lines of mountain biking comes competition. And I have always been a competitive person. Whenever I pick up a new sport, I immediately want to compete in the sport. And it's, it's interesting. I've had an interesting relationship with competition over the years And I initially thought that I needed to prove myself in competition, especially as I became a professional mountain biker. I think that the stakes and your relationship with competition get higher as you start achieving certain levels of success in competition. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about what competition means to me and my relationship with competition has evolved over time as well. I've learned a lot about myself and also about life through competition and through the lens of competition. And it's something that can be demonized in certain circles. It can be something that people are afraid of in certain places. So I thought it would be an interesting topic of conversation to talk about competition and what that means to me, how that's evolved over time, and potentially how maybe you can think about your relationship with competition too. So the first thing that I'll say is that competition, how we define success and self-esteem are closely linked. At first glance, competition pits us against each other because there can only be one winner. Or maybe at work, only one or a few people will get a promotion or recognition. Also, the internet exacerbates competition with follower counts, likes, podcast charts, algorithms that celebrate winners, and so much more. So being aware of when we're competing, it might not even be in a sport or even at work, but when are we competing and being aware of that? is a first step to understanding your relationship with competition. Some people are afraid to even line up for a competition because they think that competition is a validation one way or another of themselves or of their skills. Whereas competition is just a snapshot in time. As a professional athlete, I've experienced the elation and celebration of winning a race. And I've also seen the difference if I finish second or even nowhere near the podium. And I realize that most people, whenever they line up for an event, they are not racing to win. They are racing for a personal best, or maybe they are racing for different goals. The problem with linking a quote, successful competition solely to the outcome of that competition is that it's potentially damaging to connection with others and to one's self-esteem. So how do we show up for a competition with awareness? How do we get the best out of ourselves without our self-esteem taking a hit? And how do we build connection instead of division when we are competing? And again, for the purpose of this podcast, I use bike racing as an example, as a metaphor, because most of you know me to be a a bike racer, but competition can take on many forms. So again, just inserting what competitions you do, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's in a sport, insert that into your life and use that example. So first I'm going to talk about the problem with competition. 
In the space of well-being, sometimes competition is demonized because it's often viewed as a zero-sum game. But the reality is, is that it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to push everyone else down around you to rise to the top. This is challenging to explain because when someone lines up for a race or a competition at school or in the workplace, there can only be one winner on that day. So how do you rise to the top without pushing others down? However, having multiple ways to measure your success and different types of goals can redefine what competition means to you. With competition, there is no denying that there is a hard line of whether you got that promotion or won that race. A lot of times the outcome of a competition is out of your control. You can control your effort, you can control your attitude, you can control your actions, but you can't control how good someone will be compared to you or a decision that someone else will make that will affect you in the case of maybe someone's deciding if you get a promotion or a sponsorship or a job. You can't control that. The good news, however, is that there are other ways to define success so you can compete in a way that helps you show up in a more open way. In fact, in 2015, it was the first year that I started public speaking and I had the opportunity to do a TEDx talk. And it was about how to define success in a race I did in Nepal at 17,769 feet. So if you haven't seen my TED talk or you want to check it out, make sure you check out my website or the show notes because it's on there. As a loss averse culture with a negativity bias, we want to avoid loss at all costs. And just as a side note, the negativity bias is a built-in mechanism that has pre-programmed us to focus on what didn't go well or focus on the thing that we lost, to focus on negative headlines and all the things that are going wrong instead of all the things that are going right. And I did an entire podcast on that, so you can check that out in the show notes. So we want to avoid loss at all costs. And the problem is that if we focus on winning, we'll also be focused on what we could lose. And that approach might influence how we play. So you probably have heard this. Are you playing not to lose or are you playing to win? Whenever you're playing not to lose, you're playing from a place of tightness, of constriction. When you're playing to win, you're playing from a place of openness and flow. And man, I have been there whenever I'm winning a mountain bike race, I'm riding through this race and I start changing how I ride on the descents because I don't want to get a flat tire or I don't want to crash. And I start getting tighter and tighter or I'm afraid to take risks because I'm afraid that I'm going to lose because I'm out in front. And this is really exacerbated in a stage race whenever you are doing a seven day race and you can be leading the race for seven days. And that is a lot of time for something to go wrong. So if you're always focusing on all the things that could go wrong and getting more and more conservative, you could end up losing anyway because of that. Another thing to think about is that winning and losing doesn't have to be a binary thing. Because winning shines a spotlight on worldly successes like money, power, fame, and validation, it can be difficult to untangle ourselves from focusing on the winning itself because you get something whenever you do win. While worldly success isn't inherently bad, it's important to have a strong foundation and identity so that when you don't get those worldly successes from those wins, that you don't fall apart. There are still a lot of gains to be had, even when you don't win. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced that before. Competition can be scary because it's vulnerable when you put yourself out there publicly saying, hey, this is my best effort for today. And what if that best effort isn't very good compared to what other people's expectations are of you, what your expectations are of yourself or to past performances? Would you feel differently if no one ever knew what your result was? What if the primary goal of competition wasn't based on an outcome that pits you against somebody else? And if you're interested in how to set goals for competition, 
I have a self-paced course called the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy that you can get on my website at sonyalooney.com. And I also offer one-on-one mental skills coaching to help people set appropriate goals, whether it's in sport or in life, on how to compete and to feel good while you're competing. Additionally, some people might use competition to relieve a feeling of deprivation. If they can prove to themselves today that they are good, then maybe they will feel okay. But that is such a short-lived feeling of, I am good because I won. And I have been there myself many times. As I said, this relationship with the competition that I've had has been a journey. The foundation of flourishing is a major topic, so I'm not going to even start trying to hack away at that one. So I'll say focus on competition. And again, competition and defining success are closely linked, but you can try and be successful without competing at the same time. Part of the foundation that we have is based on self-esteem, self-compassion, and mastery. And if you want to read more about other aspects of healthy foundation and how to use healthy foundation to pursue peak performance, that's also in the show notes. Okay, so a quick summary as to why competition could be bad is because many people view it as a zero-sum game. Many people are trying to pursue an outcome that is out of their control that leads to worldly successes, which aren't inherently bad, but can make you be really focused on what you're losing instead of what you're winning. And competition can be too closely linked with our self-esteem so that whenever we don't win, we don't feel good about ourselves. And it can be viewed from a place of deprivation where we are trying to plug a hole instead of competing from a place of openness. So now I'm going to move on to talk about competition, self-esteem, and self-worth. Competition can be viewed in multiple ways, as I've said, and some view it as a threat to self-worth because they have to use it to seek validation to prove that they are good. In other words, I'm only good if I'm better than someone else, and I have to prove myself every single time I line up. That mindset is also very closely linked to Carol Dweck's fixed mindset, if you want to look that up, where your talent is fixed or your ability is fixed and you think that every single time you are getting a test score back or you're lining up for a race, that is a huge threat because it could prove that you are not talented or have ability or whatever. So self-esteem and competition can be too closely linked and this poses a huge problem when someone has a fragile self-esteem. People with fragile self-esteem only feel good about themselves if they are better than somebody else and that can also be closely linked to narcissism as well. While some people can thrive in a cutthroat environment where self-esteem is on the line, it's not very sustainable, nor is it a conducive environment to growth and greater purpose. According to the academic psychologist Scott Barry Kaufman, who is going to be a guest on the show very soon, in his book Transcend, Kaufman says that self-esteem has two components, self-worth and mastery. One thing to note is that self-esteem and self-worth are closely tied, but they are different. Having self-worth means that you generally like yourself as a person, you believe that you have good qualities, and you believe that you are a worthwhile human being. Self-worth underlies self-esteem, and self-esteem can be affected by some of the things that you do and some of the validation that you get. When a competition is not going well and you feel like your self-esteem or even your self-worth is dropping, practicing self-compassion is a good antidote. Treating yourself like you would a friend who is struggling is the easiest way to start. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show, you know that I've interviewed Dr. Kristen Neff two times, who is a pioneer in the field of self-compassion. And one episode we did about self-compassion and the other was about fierce self-compassion that you can also find in the show notes. And Kristen Neff says that you can still accept yourself without accepting an unwanted behavior. And this also goes for ourselves and for others. 
So self-compassion can have a tenderness aspect of saying that, hey, it's okay. I'm still a good human. I'm still worthwhile, even if I'm not achieving things. And I don't have to achieve things to be a worthwhile person. I also think something that people don't think about is that competition does not have to be all or none. You can simultaneously want to beat someone and be fiercely competitive, but you can also do it in a way that brings others up or pushes people to be even better than they could have been on their own. And that is one of the reasons why I now am excited whenever there are lots of amazing women at races. I I humbly admit that back in the day, I would be threatened and almost disappointed if I looked at a start list and I saw all these people who I knew were better than me because that meant that I wouldn't be getting the outcome that I wanted. But then I started to realize that that actually isn't that important. I want to be proud of my performance. I want to get the best out of myself. And in order to do that, I need to have people around me who are amazing too. Competing from a place of anger and negativity versus competing from a place of joy and positivity are completely different feelings. One is a feeling of constriction or the other is of expansion. Many people think that a harsher environment, whether it be internal or external, provides better results. In fact, that's one reason why people are afraid to practice meditation, mindfulness, and self-compassion because they think they're going to lose their edge. But research actually shows that that's not the case. So if competition isn't about beating other people, what is it about? Here's my answer. I think that competition is about mastery. Over time, I've changed my goals in competition. I've changed how I viewed competition. And there is still a very highly competitive drive in me. Yes. But now whenever I am showing up for a competition of any kind, my primary mindset comes from a different place. I no longer am lining up to prove that I am, quote, good. I now line up because I want to celebrate my preparation. I want to bring others up around me as I'm racing. And I want to be a part of a community. I want to explore my personal limits and see what I'm capable of because I like learning. I like growing. It's uncomfortable at times, but having fun in the process is so important. And that's why I hoot and sing and cheer for others while I'm racing. I'm still going as hard as I can. I still am trying to get to that finish line first, but I can go at it from a different perspective. I can go at it from a place of positivity and wanting to bring others up. And I also end up having more fun whenever I'm doing that. Sharing that energy makes me love the competition even more. I try to be the rising tide that raises the other boats in the harbor. A great example of this is from Olympian Leah Davison's TEDx talk this year, and she was recently a podcast guest as well. But in her TEDx talk, she talks about how the women's Olympic long team worked together to try to create extra spots so that one more woman could go. They would have three spots in the Olympics, but they did that well knowing that some of them would not be able to go. They collaborated together in competition to try to create opportunity, even though it would mean that everybody wouldn't quote win. So when I'm competing, I focus on how I can master myself, my abilities, my mental states, and my beliefs. I can do all of those things, even if someone is faster or better than me on the day. That doesn't mean that I'm not upset if I don't win, and that's okay, but it's not only about winning. And in some cases, the days when things are not going my way is when I can practice self-mastery the most. When things aren't going well, that's whenever you get to build that resilience muscle. That's where you get to build that positivity, optimism muscle. It doesn't always give you opportunity whenever you're doing well all the time. By using the term, quote, better, whenever I'm talking about competition, I don't mean a better human. I am using the term better to mean that the luck, skill level, or ability was better on that day. And I think we often forget that when we view winners, we sometimes think of them as superior humans. 
Having strong and motivated competitors around me will ultimately push me to compete at a higher level than I could do on my own. So instead of being threatened by my competitors, maybe I can thank them. I get to choose how I want to be and show up as a human while I'm competing. And I admit that it's not 100% all the time. I don't always line up feeling this way, but I always set the intention to compete from a place of joy, mastery, curiosity, adventure, and connection with others. I will also add that winning does not always mean that you feel proud of your performance. I've won races and not felt proud of the win, and I felt unhappy with the win. And when that happens, it's because I'm not competing from a place of joy or mastery. I've been more excited and proud of, say, a fifth place finish when I was focused on mastery, when I had a good attitude, when I got the most out of myself. And those races were ones where there were people that were better than me, and they helped me feel proud of my result because I was pushed to do better than I thought that I could. Being aware of where you're coming from when you compete can give you some valuable insight. That said, I'm not sure if everyone can get to viewing competition as mastery, as a celebration and of transcendence without going through the initial journey of feeling threatened at the start line, because it takes some insight. It takes some time to go through these different stages. It took many years and a lot of personal work on my ego, my self-esteem and headspace to get to the point of viewing the outcome of competition as a secondary or tertiary goal. And it's not like unlocking certain levels where, well, once I go through this initial phase of feeling threatened or worrying about validation, then I'll never feel that way again. That is not the case. You still have to always work on that. If you get to a point where the pursuit of winning can become a little less self-focused and more focused on how it can help the greater good, it can change how you show up in the world. I believe there can be transcendence in competition. It can be your competition and who you become in a competition can help make the world better. Of course, I'm highly competitive and I'm striving to win, but it's not just about winning for the ego. I am no longer trying to always fill a void. And one of the reasons I like winning now is because I am able to help others if they are now paying attention to my work because of my accolades. I want to be a leader who can set the tone of what it means to win, what it means to live a good life. And it's easier to do that if you won an event. But that said, aside from winning, it's also about how you show up on the race course because you can have a direct impact on the people around you no matter where you are in the race. How you treat others while you are competing is incredibly important, and you can still make a huge impact without winning. As Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll says in his personal philosophy, he says, always compete. He says that true competition isn't about beating your components. True competition is about bettering yourself. Always compete is about never becoming complacent. So what's the bottom line here? The bottom line is a healthy view of competition is learning to compete from a place of joy, celebration, mastery, curiosity, and connection. Our competitors can help push us to be our best. And that even goes for people we do not like. <laughs> Setting appropriate goals around competition that have objectives other than the outcome is essential for growth. Competition is only a threat to self-esteem if we have a shaky foundation of self-worth and of our own competence. So what if competition was about striving together instead of pushing everybody else down? And I'll leave you with the etymology of the word compete. The word comes from the late Latin word competere, which means strive in common, strive after something in company with or together. Or in classical Latin, to meet or come together, agree or coincide, to be qualified. I wonder how our world would change if competition were viewed from this framework instead of a winner takes all mentality. And there's some questions I put for further development in the podcast notes, but the questions are, what am I getting from competition? What do I compete for? What other goals can I set that aren't based on an outcome? How do I want to be while I'm competing? 
How can I bring others up while I'm competing too? I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and my thoughts and research on competition, self-esteem, and more. And if you're enjoying this, don't forget to share the show with your friends and to hit that subscribe button. I put out a solo podcast episode on a topic like this that I go deep on once a month. And the rest of my shows have guest interviews about high performance and well-being. Thank you again for being part of this awesome community. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. I'll see you right back here next week.